Satan may imprison a man's flesh, but only God can free his heart. And that, with that's that, that's an original, but I'm going to tell I'll tell you something right now. With that, thank you for coming back to the We're Not Here podcast. Um, I'm your co-host, James Ortega, a.k.a. Jimmy Sunshine. You are? I'm Dave Fredland. I'm still painting my house. <laughs> still the painting fool. If you're a follower, if you're not, you, you, you won't get that. You won't understand that. It's an inside joke. Uh, but that quote was actually uh, a repeat. You did that one last week. Did I? Yeah. Man, I, I, I like it so much, I thought I'd, I thought <laughs> well, it'd give it it's from you. wheel. It's from you, so of course you're going to like it. <laughs> Uh, well, today uh, we have a special guest with us, and we are honored to have uh, um, someone with. Actually, I'm not even going to introduce him. I'm gonna let him introduce himself. We have a special guest uh, via Skype, and you are. I am Gary Wayne. I call I kind of known as the Christian contrarian because I tend to want to verify things for myself. I don't tend to want to accept what somebody says or somebody says something says so mm. i do that in all my research and and also apply that with with the bible and so i try to come sort of my conclusions through my research from a clean slate and sort of let the information lead me to wherever it goes and i wrote a book called the genesis six conspiracy how secret societies and the descendants of giants plan to enslave humankind and it is a 800 page book that is probably the most complete book that's out there in terms of connecting the complete nephilim story to end time prophecy uh and everything in between so um People can get get a hold of me on my website at the Genesis Six Conspiracy dot com. That's Genesis Six with the number Six Conspiracy dot com. And on there, I have a generous excerpt of all ninety eight chapters. So yeah. if you like what I say and you want to have a little bit deeper look into what I might write about, um, that's where you go to find out. And you'll find out whether or not it's the right book for you or not. Right. And. I tend to uh, look at things sort of with a fresh kind of look and kind of get a little bit deeper into things than what most people do. So uh, I think we're going to have a very interesting discussion today. <laughs> I'm not a theologian. Uh, I am not a minister. I've just done a lot of research. And so I sort of set myself as a researcher and I tend to connect dots that most people don't connect. Well, uh, I would say w that was an understatement as far as everything in between. We're holding the book right now, uh, Gary. Well, both of us have to hold we, it. We're holding it together because it's so big. Yeah, two pages worth. <laughs> um, it, it, yeah. So we, we just got it, so we haven't read it yet. I've gone online and looked at, uh, like, I think the top, the first maybe 10 chapters, just reading the overviews. And it's, I mean, way too much, way too much for one sale. I mean, you have to, like, come back. So... Uh, thank you for being here, man. We're really appreciative of that. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so just so that people know, like this is not a book that you're going to be able to speed read if, if you're <laughs> interested in, in the subject. And every sentence is loaded with information through all 98 chapters. And so yeah. it just keeps coming at you. So you have to be able to read it uh, as you can absorb it. And you'll probably want to go back after you read chapters to go back to another chapter because yeah. every every chapter is a mini story mm -hmm. and it leads into the next chapter. But that information will resurface as the book unfolds as well. 
Right. So the there there is it's kind of I'm I'm not comparing your book to the Bible. Trust me, I'm not. But I'm saying that the Bible is a is a, is a narrative. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, the Bible's a narrative, but it has little mini narratives within it. The meta narrative is Jesus all throughout. Um, this book is the same thing. It all connects to each other. So you can read chapter 94 and, oh, look back to chapter three and it connects, right? There's some, there's some kind of connection there. So, um, and in that way, uh, in that way, it's, it's, uh, it's such a great reference, Gary. We had to go out and buy it. Yeah. SAP and, yeah. and, um, so it's, it's, it's in our official library and I, I guarantee you, we're going to be going through every page of this. <laughs> uh, yeah, not together, but we will. Well, I... No, 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 we, we actually have separate homes, <laughs> Gary. <laughs> I, I have a lot of people tell me that, you know, they put it right beside the Bible and that they use it as their reference book because the, yeah. you know, the chapters are fairly simply named and sort of get into that. What do you want? What you want to know about that topic? Right. And so the other thing that, you know, so, so, so many people are so generous with their comments to me about is, is that they say for the first time, the Old Testament makes sense to me. Mm. And that's wow. really what I was trying to do is, is yeah. to open up this, this, this sort of doorway into how important the Old Testament is that sort of gets shuffled to the side as a sort of boring list of history and genealogies <laughs> yeah. that yeah. nobody really um, fully understands. But once what I find is you dig deeper into the Bible it just shows so much more information than and most people think that is there and it all interconnects, like you say. So all yeah. the information is important. It's just a matter of how deep you want to dig into it. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, okay. So let's, let's, we're, we're going to get started pretty soon, but I, I do want, you know, you know, we're here in Southern California. Uh, today's actually cool. It's a really nice. No, it's in the seventies. Seventies, nice and overcast, kind of yeah. cool and a breeze. It's been about 100 degrees every day yeah, it's pretty, uh, in the past hot. couple of weeks, or past week at least. Uh, Gary, where are you at? You, so you're in a complete opposite of Southern California. Yeah, where are you calling from today? I am calling from northern Saskatchewan, and most people won't know where, where the location <laughs> is, but it's uh, literally as you go up the center of the province, and it's the last highway that um, sort of runs before. Or the road runs out. So wow. um, I'm deep into the, into Lake Country and uh, like to like the, to spend summers up here because uh, the fishing is so good and the weather is nice in the summer and right. Uh, right. and it's home. So cool. That's that's amazing. So we had one other interview. She was from North Carolina, and now this is our we're we're going global, Dave. We're going further and further. Yeah, out. we're we're. Multi multi country uh, now, show right now. Yeah, it seems seems like hey, we're starting to maybe next one will be even further out. Man, that's, that's All scary. I want to know, Gary, is how <laughs> big are the bugs up there? <laughs> oh, they're impressive. Oh, yeah, impressive. <laughs> they are. Um... <laughs> that's, so, yeah, are the Old Testament the bugs or, the, or New they're... Testament? <laughs> uh, um, some sometimes you think old testament wow but uh wow. right now it's not too bad 
Um, but you know, there's there's mosquitoes and there's all sorts of horseflies and wasps and hornets and stuff. Yeah. So um, the closer you are, closer you are to the trees, the closer you are to to nature, and yeah. uh, it has uh, it's 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 rough side to it. So you have to be you have to be sort of prepared for that, and uh, and and hopefully you know you don't hit those peak seasons where or peak years where where the insects can be uh, very uncomfortable. But uh, right. for the most part, it's it's just nice to be up here. But you have to accept that there's there's insects. There's no doubt about it. Okay. <laughs> So what I want to know, the only thing I want to know, we'll end with this. Have you ever seen Bigfoot up there? Come on, Gary. No, I have not seen Bigfoot. Okay. Um, <laughs> Bigfoot is more of a West Coast thing um, that's true, than, that's than true. inland. So, yeah, that's true. Um, I just wanted the blurry creature. Even though you, I, I was in the to... Vancouver area. Uh, I do not, I've not seen a Bigfoot. I've done a couple shows on blurry creatures, but yeah, I know. Uh, not from a witness perspective. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just wondering. I grew up in, in the uh, Seattle area, Gary. So I have my own Bigfoot stories. Yeah. I think, I think that was episode, a couple uh, episodes ago yeah. we talked about that. Yeah, one, we did. That'll be for another day. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's, let's, um, I think good right now is a good time to take a break uh we'll take our break uh we will come back with gary and we're gonna dive into um deep dive uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna really so so here's here's my concern is that there's so much information that gary has and again with this book 800 pages you know gary has a Mm -hmm. lot of stuff in his head so uh my concern is that our listeners I, I want to introduce this slowly and methodically and and really start from the beginning and go from there so that people can get a get an understanding when they read their old testament when they read the bible when was this stuff happening how is it happening oh, the timeline right the the basic timeline and then we'll we'll go from there um and like you said this may be a five part we might have Gary back five or six times just to keep talking about this stuff as we go so that means I should be nice to him on this. Please, run? please okay. treat him. Please treat him right. Um, but yeah, so when we come back from the break, we're going to get into uh, you know where this all began, how this all started, and we talked about it. We we just did our fallen angels. We just did our angels, yeah. uh, heavenly angels, fallen angels, and then our demons episode last week. And so this is going to culminate everything. This is going to bring everything kind of more to light. Everything we talked about, he's going to put. A little more detail on that, and 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 give us—I mean, probably a lot more detail on that. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's going to bring it all together. I—that's I, what I'm praying and I'm hoping. Um, but yeah, so when we come back, we will we'll get more into it. Oh, I'm. We'll start. Up. All right. Um, yeah, come on back. Get a snack. Get a get a healthy snack for this one. You're going to need something healthy and maybe some coffee. Get a, get a get an extra. Hey, you want to be awake for this? Yeah, one. you want to be up for this one. So all right, we'll be right back. Bye bye. All right, welcome back to the program. Yes. And we uh we also want to make sure again that we we mention that we are on Facebook, we are on Instagram. <clears throat> you can find us on our website www.nothere2.com. Yeah. So when you want to find us if you if you're looking for content, you know, Again, proclaim, proclaiming the gospel through stories, through testimonies, through uh, learning about scripture and you know all scripture. 
um, we are here for you. So, you know, hit us up and, um, yeah, let's, let's build this community together. Um, we have our special guest, Gary Wayne with us, and and we're going to get into this right away. So I wanted to begin this with a scripture, uh, from second Timothy three, 16, um, and 17. Um, this is Paul talking to Timothy, uh, telling Timothy to, uh, just giving him instructions on what he needs to do in his ministry. But he, he ends chapter 3 this way. Uh, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it starts off all scripture. And I wanted to mention that, and I wanted to start with that, because we have a lot of pastors out there who uh, say we need to dis- not a lot. There's uh, one in particular that said we need to disconnect from the Old Testament. Uh, yeah. That was Andy Stanley. I'm gonna I'm gonna say his name. I mean, might as well. He said it right. Uh, we need to c- disconnect from the Old Testament. Now, whatever he was trying to go with with that, that's just a false statement. The Old Testament is. Like like Chuck Missler used to say, and we've said this before, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, right? And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So it connects. There's connection all through. And we just talked about that. Jesus is the connection. Um, and so everything that it's in the scriptures is God-breathed and for good things. And it was given to us by God. So uh, written by man, inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? Yes. So we want to make sure that we, even the uncomfortable stuff, even the stuff that makes us uncomfortable, we can't ignore that stuff. We can't ignore, and a lot of pastors do. They ignore this stuff, or they ignore the hard scriptures, things that they struggle with, or they don't understand. They just won't teach it. Um, And we need to get away from that. These are difficult topics. Sure. You you need to keep, honestly, you need to keep butts in the seat. Right. And so you don't want yeah. to go over people's heads right. or get too complicated. So I, I understand, and there's nothing wrong with simply preaching the gospel. Sure. But, you sure. know, for those of us out there that love to dig deep and, and, and get really into the mysteries of God, yeah. this is the show for you right here. Yeah. And I, and I think there are a lot of others that are doing this now. They're starting yeah. to say, wait a minute, we got to step back and, and open up the whole Bible and, and study it all. So this is a perfect way to do that. Um, welcome back, Gary, and thank you for being here again, um, live from Saskatchewan, Canada, Canada, man, amazing. Um, Northern Saskatchewan. Yes. Okay. Um, so Gary, our first question and, and I, what is the timeline? So we know that God created the heavens and the earth. And then a lot of times we'll go to Genesis six right away, but I want to know, when did the fallen angels come? So we know we believe fallen angels came to Earth. They had procreated with, with human women. When did this all happen? What is the timeline in the beginning of when this happened? Yeah, that's a that's a fairly large question. So <laughs> yeah. you know, typically when we're talking about fallen angels and when they go to the daughters of humans this is well after the rebellion 
right? Okay. So in Genesis 6, we're in the days of Noah, and Noah lived 600 years before the flood and 350 years after the flood, and also the generation of Jared as the book of Enoch would describe it. So we're into, you know, many, many generations. We're into the sixth and seventh generations okay. since Adam. Okay, and so so let me what ask we do this. Know is, is okay. the fallen angels rebelled before that? Okay, so let let me ask that. So the, when did the fallen angels rebel? When did that actually happen? Because I I I don't know what that timeline is. Yeah, and 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 it's it's a really good sort of um, philosophical question, and mm. depending on how you want to answer that question, sort of will start to form your your belief system in terms of time frames and things like that. So, okay. what we do know is angels rebelled. At least Satan did, but we would presume uh, there was. A, is you know a lot that would have rebelled at that time and a lot of people believe that some angels continue to rebel and will continue to rebel until the end time as shown in mm. revelation 12 where you have a full third of them rebel at that time right and so i mean you have ten thousand times ten thousand which could be an allegorical number but that's a hundred million so yeah. fully one-third at least by the time of the end time will rebel which would be at least 33 million or it's just in sort of an uncountable number like the sands, right. depending on how you want to look at that. But we do know Satan has rebelled by the time of the creation of Adam because he is working with the hash, the serpent, to deceive Eve and Adam um, because Adam has been created as, a, as the resolution to the angelic rebellion. Right. So sometime before then, so the next question gets to be then is, when do you think Eden happens? Is it like day seven or day eight, or is it day six? Because you have these conflicting accounts, and I don't believe the Bible contradicts itself. Uh, mm. So I look at two different creations. I see the Adamites as a separate creation than uh, the people of day six, where all the details are different, like being created in plural, and I won't right. go through all of the details, but I have a document for people if they want to get a hold of me through my website. Yeah. Um, just ask for the difference between day six and the Adamites. And I think it starts to answer the questions as to who Cain actually marries after he's been ostracized and after the events that happen in, in Eden. So okay. what, we, what we do know is that's when sin, sin comes into the world, right? Because the law is not imputed, as the New Testament tells us, until um, there's a law. The only law that there is uh, given to us in the Old Testament is when Adam and Eve are told not to eat from the tree of good and evil. And yeah. after that, the law is imputed. It doesn't mean there wasn't sin before. It just oh, when it becomes okay. imputed, when there's actually law established in the world. Okay. Now, there's violations against creation and stuff like that that the, the rebellious ones are doing. But what that tells us is there could be a period before here where the rebellion actually happened. So some people will take that back into in the days of creation. And in the polytheistic accounts, it's during the separation of the waters. Um, you know, to create uh, the firmament that, and, and the balance of life that comes after, that's, that's when there's a rebellion that takes place. Okay. So that's sort of the typical sort of standard dogma. I tend to look at it that uh, I'm fine with that. Right. But I have a, 
sense that it's older than that that there's okay. and i tend to look at there's two ways to um translate genesis one and some people might know it as as the gap theory right yeah. uh, i like to call it the renewal of the earth and when i look at psalms 104 and i line that up with genesis one everything sort of fits psalms 104 doesn't give you the exact order but it gives you the same details and in there you have the creation of the angels before creation just as job 38 tells us that the morning stars and the sons of god were singing at creation the, the physical world right. so they're created before the physical world and then at some point after that there's a rebellion i kind of think that the rebellion fits better between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2, and before mm -hmm. there's a renewal of the earth, just as Psalms 104 says, when God sends his spirit, there's, he renews the earth. Right. And that the, uh, and so that things weren't completely destroyed, but just destroyed sort of, sort of to the foundations. And that's why you get the six day process. Again, I have a document on all this. I don't want to spend too much time on it. Yeah. Um, but that would suggest that the, the earth is much, much older and the universe is much, much older than the standard chronology of 6,000 years. I'm open to both, but I lean that the rebellion fits better before uh, the creation of, 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 of renewal of days one through six and sometime in the past, and we don't know how long, that there was originally the heavens and earth that were created, and then the earth becomes void and formless, and right. that's because of the angelic rebellion. Right, right. Okay, so that, okay, got it. So the gap theory, and and, and I will say this, and I, I want to say two things real quick, that if you, if you email Gary on his website and ask a question, uh, ask for a document. He does get back to you. He got back to me. It took took a little time. He's a busy man, uh, but he he did get back to me and he sent me some information that I wanted to know about. So please do please hit him up on that on that website. What, what is your website, Gary? So I can write it down. Yeah, re restate it one more time. Uh, it's the www.genesis6conspiracy.com. That's Genesis Six with the number six conspiracy.com. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say is that uh, sometimes Gary will use terms that maybe people don't understand. Polytheistic means that there were uh, people at that time who believed in many other gods, it, it, many gods at one time. So what they weren't monotheistic, they didn't believe in Yahweh or you know the God, they believed in other gods. So polytheistic thought comes up quite a bit in, in your discussions, and so I just wanted to make sure people understand that term. Um. So, sure, and it's an important term and distinction because yeah. all the other religions, other than the three classified monotheists, are are polytheist, right? And it dictates most of what happens in the world. So, right, it's an important term. Sure, and yeah, that's why I wanted to make sure. Um, so we have a question, and and so we were okay. So we know the timeline, or we, we you know the, again philosophically, and I I believe in that gap theory. I I've I've heard. Tim Alberino talk about that. I've heard other people, uh, Chuck Mitchell used to talk about it as well. Um, so I, I, yeah, I can... well, you know, just, just, just to make a note on that. Yeah. Um, I do have documents on that if people want it. Okay. Uh, also, if they were to go to true legends two years ago, uh, and it's at the start of COVID, so we couldn't do it live, but I recorded two and a half hours where I litigated it, um, step by step by step. Ah. And I, I get so many comments on it saying, I have never heard it explained that way. And I've never had my 
biblical assumptions challenged in such a profound way that it's hard to not have a deeper look in what you're saying. So um, I've got good information on it if people are looking for that. And that's the True Legends uh, YouTube channel? What do we, when you talk about True Legends? No, it's True Legends, uh, yeah, it's Steve Quayle's uh, Giant. Oh yeah, um, Steve Quayle, sure. Okay, yeah. uh, Conference that he used once a year, but we were supposed to do it live, you know, Dad. But uh, we couldn't because of COVID, so I had to record it. So, okay. and he's got it all on the DVDs. Unfortunately, they got well. I guess fortunately for them, you got to have to buy the whole DVD <laughs> of the whole conference. But right. if you're really interested in it, I would certainly uh, recommend it. Cool, that's cool. Okay, you have the next question. Yeah, I got I got a, go. a few questions that have been haunting me. Uh, Gary, <laughs> do fallen angels have sex organs? Let's let's yeah, let's we got to get into that. St- let's get right into it. <laughs> Well, not naturally. Let's let's start with that. So fallen angels are spirit beings from the spiritual realm. They come from the domain of heaven. And that's the habitat that they leave. That is the Greek word oikotarian, a dwelling place for the spirit. They're spirit beings, like God is a spirit being, like the word was a spirit being, Holy Spirit is a spirit being. But the world is physical, and it's in a different dimension. So... Mm -hmm. The physical world uh, in one of two ways. They can enter as a physical being or a spiritual being. In a spiritual being, they would be this bright sort of opalescent types of being, or they don't even have to be seen. But they have a choice to become a physical being. So if you look at, let's say, the Sodom and Gomorrah story, and just before that, when the two angels come with uh, who I think is the angel of the Lord Jesus um, to visit with with Abraham and Sarah just before the Sodom Gomorrah story, uh, you have two angels that look like men and they're thought to be men at first. They're not even perceived as, as, as angels and they physically interact. They eat, they touch, right. they talk, yeah. they drink. And, and these are the same angels then that are going to go over to Sodom and Gomorrah. And but now they're recognized as angels and they want to have sex with these angels. And so if we if we want to understand how they could pre-create as described in Genesis 6, 1 through 4, we have to sort of start to buy into the concept and with biblical verification that they can take a physical form. And we get all sorts of descriptions uh, of right. angels coming in physical forms and right. other forms throughout the Bible. Yeah. And so this oikotarian term that I talked about, which is the habitation that they left, that's the dwelling place for the spirit, right. the word shows up one other time in the New Testament in the Greek, which is in 2 Corinthians 5, 2, which is the house in heaven. Just as Jesus has promised us that God has many rooms in his mansion in heaven, that would be our dwelling place for our spirit in heaven. Right. And so they need a dwelling place for their spirit in the physical world if they're going to interact physically Interesting. and that's, so okay. that's the oikotarian that's the soul and the body yeah. which is part of the physical world and it's the spirit that comes from heaven that merges with that soul and is able to to you know be in the soul and the body and interact in the physical world that we have and so the angels need to have that wakeitarian as well and when they do that they can choose any gender of their 
of their choice. They could choose any form of their choice if they so choose. And so when you create now a body, you would create the the physical characteristics and the DNA uh, of a human to have that function properly and that you could create the ability to procreate that way as well and pass on that DNA and some of the attributes to the offspring. Let's say if you're procreating with human females, and in this case, the antediluvian Nephilim and the postdiluvian Raphaim. Mm. So it's not natural to them. It's not permitted in heaven, as uh, Matthew says. And I think go to the Luke uh, uh, verses. It's a lot more descriptive in terms of what is being talked about on being spiritual beings in heaven. It's not that uh, the angels can't procreate in the physical world. It's just not permitted, just as it's not permitted in heaven. And they would not dare to violate that law in heaven. Right. So it's... so. It's different than, and and we talked about demons. Demons are again are the 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 spirit, the the disembodied spirit of of these nephilim, right? But the uh, the angels themselves, they don't need a host body. They can form themselves into uh, a, a yes. human like creature. So that makes sense. So, so it's on they, the order of a, yeah. a heavenly angel, like when Paul talked about. Be kind of strangers because we right. could be entertaining angels unaware. Right, that's the same concept. Yeah, it's Got it's it. they can show up as as people. They can be seen as people, and then if they can take any form, they can take form as an animal. They can take form as any other creature. So that kind of makes sense to everything. Yes. That that totally makes sense now. So because we were like wrestling with that. Well, you know, we know they're not supposed to, but do they have, or, you know, but then well, when you read the Bible, my, they become men. They're, they're eating and drinking with That people. leads me to my next question. If cool. we can entertain good angels, yeah. heavenly angels unaware, yeah. can we entertain demonic angels, not a possessed human, right? but the same concept? Uh, can we do that today, Gary? Well, I think we can, and I'm just going to backstep a little bit. So when when the term demon was brought up, that was understood in the conversation that was just talked about, that that's the bodiless spirit of the Nephilim and the Raphaim, which is the counterfeit spirit that would have been passed on from the fallen angels. And so when the body died, that spirit, because it's not coming from heaven directly, it's a counterfeit spirit, it's not permitted to sleep. Right. human sleep until right. whichever part of the resurrection that we're going to be part of mm-hmm. and in the first resurrection. And so demons, um, they're not permitted into heaven and they're not permitted to sleep. So they wander the earth yeah. and they need that oiketarian body to rest mm-hmm. and to uh, physically interact. So the only thing they can do is possess and right. these are the demon spirits, which are the devil spirits that uh, D- Jesus is dealing with. And that goes back to the Greek word daemon. And so these are different than the devil that is Diablos that is referring to uh, Satan. So two distinct types of beings. It's a lower being. It's, it's from the demigods. It's from the right. the. the the demigod giants, offspring of gods and human females, as you take that back into polytheism, um, just as we're told in, in Genesis 6, 1 through 4. And that, you know, Legion is afraid that uh, Jesus is going to send them to um, 
either the abyss right. or some of the Nephilim are uh, in the sides of the abyss, as Ezekiel 32 talks about, right, before their and time. or directly to the lake of fire. So they go into the pigs. So this is demonstrating what I'm talking about all from a biblical perspective. Right. So when I, when I talk about demons, I don't tend to talk about them as angels. They're right. a lower form right. as offspring of, of the fallen angels. But you can have evil angels, which are what I would call of uh, the I'll throw out another term, the Shemaim, which mm. is the, the male plural form of heaven, which would be heavens, as it would be used in the Old Testament in Hebrew, or heavenly ones, just as the seraphim would be the the serpent ones. Right. Um, you know, with six wings and a serpent face, right? So it, it's a plural and it's a male plural. And so the fallen ones, which are nephal, as you take that back to Hebrew, which is the root word for nephil, which was related to nephil and nephilim right. as their offspring, but it's the source word and they have two different meanings. So when you're looking at Greek and Hebrew, they have source words, but that doesn't mean the source word overrides the secondary word, right? Right. So it's yeah. that, that it's rooted in it will give you more of the meaning. So they're the fallen ones, Nephal, I am Nephilim, the fallen ones who produced the Nephilim, and they're the fallen ones, the Nephilim of the Shamayim. So these are the fallen angels. And that's where the term truly sort of um, traces its word back to, and fallen ones as in rebellious. So these are the ones that are going to rebel right. against uh, God and the loyal angels and commit these crimes as part of that rebellion. Got it. Okay. That See, that that's clearing it up for me and you, Dave. Yeah. So I know that's going to help other people think, okay, that makes sense then, so that they could do this. Yeah. Now, the next question I have is, so they, you know, Genesis 6, they they do these deeds, and then God calls Noah, build the ark, the, the uh, he saved, him and his family are saved with the animals, um, and, and the animals are saved because these, and this is, this is probably a two-part question. Well, it is a two-part. The animals are saved. The ones that are saved are clean DNA as well as Noah's family. That's my first question. The second question is how then did, if God destroyed earth at, in the flood, how did they survive? Or, or, or was there a second incursion? I know you've talked about that before, and you can explain what that means. Sure. Um, again, very important sort of topics and large subjects. So yeah. Keep it as crisp as possible yes. for the audience, because I just love to expound on this stuff. Right. Um, so, <laughs> yes, if you look at what is going on with the, the flood story is Genesis 6, 1 through 4, it's bookended between, first of all, the lineage of Noah mm -hmm. at the end of chapter 5 and his three sons. Then you get the creation of uh, the giants, and then you get the reintroduction of Noah and the three sons and his commission and the building of the ark, and, and the whole world has become violent. And that violent is not just the sort of extension of the Canaanites, but the Nephilim who have married into Canaanite women 
uh, not Canaanite, Canaanite women, right. um, and produce these giants. And it's the giants that's the real source of this violence that's on steroids. And so <laughs> what people don't realize is the giant creation story is part of the flood story. It's the introduction. It's the context. Yeah. And there's nothing to separate it. And right. that you get a hint of what's going on here in Genesis 6-3, which there's a lot of information out, misinformation out there that 120 years is Noah's commission. But again, I don't believe the Bible contradicts itself. So right. the birth of his first son to the time that he goes on the ark, he's 500. He goes on the ark when he's 600. It's only 100 years. And I've just explained the linear narrative as how that Genesis 5 and Genesis 6 starts to roll out. So there's there's a 20 year gap. But once again, when you take that word back and you really look at the even the plain English of it, this is limiting life. This is not the commission. It's limiting that immortal spirit right. back to 120 years. And from that point on, all beings born, including humans, their lives are going to be shorter. And, and as we mentioned, right. Uh, Noah lived to be 950 years old. So, and that, and when the genealogies, you're going to see that short. So, the animals that are being called to the ark and the eight, they have something in common. I think that they are uh, genetically pure, so they've not been corrupted. And also, okay. Noah and the seven others would be spiritually clean as well. So they would be proper representatives to start all over because the whole earth was corrupted. Right. So when you say corrupted, that's the Hebrew word shakah. And that means ruin, decay, destroy, wow. spoil, degrade, words like that. And it's saying the whole earth is corrupted in terms of the land as you take that earth back it's the land and the land beings that are corrupted and it's being corrupted in a number of ways one with the sexual violations of the fallen angels right. and the second thing is the these dna manipulations that are going on which is a technology we're just catching up to today right. and yeah i won't go through all the different types of things that they created but think of the chimera that they talk about today that was in Greek mythology, mm -hmm. this DNA manipulation creating creatures like the unicorn that had multiple animal features to it. So you'd have lions and serpents and bulls and all sorts of things all combined into one body. So the whole earth was corrupted, the DNA of animals, the DNA of humankind, and the plant genome. Right. So this starts to now make sense as to why God calls all the animals to the ark yeah because he knows which ones of each kind each species not yeah. one of every different flavor of the appropriate species to right. multiply and reproduce after the earth become there uh seven pairs of the clean two of the unclean animals um that were not corrupted Right, right. And so it's not just the violence that is causing the corruption. We're talking something on a much grander scale that God ha wants to start all over yeah. on the land. Yeah. From the animals to humankind to the plants because of the corruption of, of the fallen angels. So that's, to me, what is happening in the Noah story. And a lot of people say, well, no, it's just spiritually clear. But when you understand the the broader context yeah you would you would have 
something cleaner to start. So that leads into the second part of the question then is how did giants survive the flood right. if they did? And or is there another creation? And so hmm. there's kind of three buckets to me that I sort of lump everything into in terms of how the giants show up after the flood. The first one, which I am least a fan of, but I don't rule any of them out because we don't get a smoking gun verse like Genesis 6-4 after the flood. Right. They just yeah. sort of appear, mm-hmm. like the Raphaim and the Anakim and the word giant that shows up 25 times and the word Raphaim, which is part of that 25, shows up twice as a tribe of giants in Genesis 14 and a war of giants in Genesis 15 in the land that God is promising Abraham. So they're around in the time of Abraham and before. (laughs) So where do they come from? So the first theory is is what I call somehow on the ark. And you get a lot of stories uh, somewhere. There's a stowaway like Og or uh, two volcanoes as in the last Noah movie, which is a Gnostic sort of belief. Right. Um, and there's other stories that there are giant arcs, uh, not giant arcs, but arcs with giants on it. So oh. the Epic of Gilgamesh has the Epictetian and his family on there, and they're two-thirds God. One third human. These are demigods. These are giants. So that's a giant story Hmm. or or a a counterfeiting of the Genesis story. It's similar on the macro level, but not on the micro level. And so Deucalion and Pyrrha in Greek mythology would be the same. And just as Deucalion is the son of Prometheus, and Prometheus can be also a Nephilim and a a god or a fallen angel. So, but either way, Deucalion's a giant. So that's another giant story. So we got all of these giant stories around the world um, that somehow they're on on another arc, right? Wow. So, <laughs> I never heard um, of that. And then there's one where there's a very popular one amongst the Christian community where there's genes in the wives that would reproduce the giants that produce the Canaanites. Hmm. And so that's an interesting theory, um, but it sort of goes against, you know, how I look at Noah and the eight that were clean spiritually and physically. That would, to me, would sort of go against that. Right. And secondly, I think the wives, and they're not named in the Bible, um, I think they're of three other races, which is how we get all four races after the flood. Mm, um, right. So it'd be odd that they would carry both those genes and the giant gene with right. them. But again, we don't know. So anyway, somehow on the ark is the first one. Okay. Uh, and then survival stories, as in, as in giants surviving on another ark or climbing to the mountaintop, in the earth, off the earth, somehow with fallen angelic um help okay so uh and in in the polytheist stories and particularly with the ark it's actually the angels that build the ark for the piston just as you get that gnostic corruption showing up in first enoch where it says the angels built the ark for noah that's just the corruption of of uh a book that we don't have the original hebrew to verify all of the details even though i like First Enoch a lot. We don't have right, yeah. late Hebrew, Hebrew uh, manuscript, and there's a few issues. So, so that's the second classification. And my preferred one 
is it fits the, the Bible um, biblically mm-hmm. uh, better for me. Uh, and I don't have to make really difficult legal arguments um, because with you can make an argument, for example, that um, where it says in Genesis 6 and then in Genesis 7, God is talking about destroying everything he created. Ah, and that's a fine legal distinction oh. where he's not looking at perhaps destroying everything that the fallen angels created. Right. 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 Um, but, and, and so you could look at, you know, that being a biblical um, accommodation for how angels were able to help giants survive and maybe some of the other beings that they created as well. So I'm open to that, but it fits better for me that a second incursion that sort of happens. Yeah. And this happens after the flood, right after the flood again. Uh, And with probably, um, obviously with humans as fast as they're going to be either dispersed from Babel or perhaps people have left already to go out into the world and are going to procreate because we get a lot of references to giants with Nimrod at the time of Babel, uh, particularly in the Septuagint, which again is a little bit unreliable, but yeah. has some interesting reference to Nimrod making his reputation on the giants, right? Right. So, um, so very early on they procreate afterwards, and these seem to be different angels, fallen angels, than the ones before the flood, because if the angels who procreated and then were sentenced to the abyss to right. be imprisoned in there right. as they are described up. in uh, 2 Peter uh, 2.4 and in Jude 1.6 Jude, right. that they went there for their crimes, then how would they create again after the flood? But in polytheism, you get something that's interesting. And to me, it's like an allegory or a, a rationalization is that they ha- you have parent gods and you have offspring gods. And mm. it's the offspring gods after the flood who produce the giants. So the best example from a Christian perspective on that is the Baalim and Baal and Nashtra. Yeah. And they are going to procreate and be the gods ruling after the flood. And then they kind of disappear after a while. They're not physically sort of interacting like they did in, in the beginning. And you get the demigods, which are the sort of the offspring giants again, which are the Raphaim. And these are the giants that in the Ugaritic text, the Raphaim, which is the root word for Raphaim, Rapha being giant, a tribe of giant, um, and I am the male plural, um, and the source word for giant in the King James Version Bible, except for one time in the book of Job, which is Gibberim, which describes the Nephilim in Genesis 6 4, okay. and three times for Nephilim uh, for giant in Genesis 6 4, and twice in Numbers 13 33. The root word for giant thereafter is always Rapha Raphaim. Right. And so they are praying to Baalim, who created to them, and doing rituals that they come back and create more of the demigods and so this just for me answers what the bible tells us of why the balim are so important right and it fits better with the bible but again as i say we have to be open because we don't have that smoking gun verse we only know the giants show up but for me that fits better with the second incursion if i can jump in real quick so i i understand the sexual violations of the fallen angels uh, creating the the giants originally, um, but after that 
that species was created. Now, I, I have read a bit about this, and I can't seem to find anywhere where they talk about female giants. Uh, did the giants have, fem were there female giants, and did they propagate or procreate amongst their species to continue that bloodline, or was it always fallen angels uh, coming back into the scene uh, with human women? It's a really, really good question. So, and again, we have to sort of divide the flood uh, between before the flood and after the flood. Uh, and when we're talking about things so we don't get things conflated, that's one of the things mm -hmm. that secular history just makes a real mess of, and that's why it gets so confusing. Even when you're trying to understand the various pantheons, and if you don't understand that it's the offspring gods after the flood and the parent gods before the flood, and nothing makes sense in terms of timelines and stuff. Mm -hmm. So when we look at were there female Nephilim, my answer is yes. There may not have been a lot of them, but there was certainly some of them. And so I'll begin with polytheism and then bring this back to the Bible. Okay. Uh, so in polytheism, in Greek mythology, where they have the heroes that are also called titans, and just as you have titans that can also be titans of heaven, so it's kind of similar with the Anunnaki. You've got the Anunnaki of heaven and you've got the Anunnaki of earth. So it's like the fallen angels, the Nephilim, and then the giants, the Nephilim. It's that same sort of distinction that's going on um, in polytheism versus how monotheism describes it out of the book of Genesis. Right. And so you get these titans, which are uh, like Atlas. And Atlas is the offspring of... Poseidon and a human female, Clito. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where the Atlantis mythology comes from. And there's 10 right. of these Nephilim kings that, and five sets of twins to be so specific oh. um, that are produced. And females were known as Titanides. And oh. just as you get uh, that word sort of show up in some, and I'm going, I'm going, down a rabbit hole here and get right out of it. So in Midsummer's Night Dream, you have King Oberon, who's the king of the fairies, and then you've got Titania, and that's a reference to, uh, you know, fairy is part of the giants, the Tuatha Dé Danann, that's the fairy people, the fairy giants. Right. And Titania is a mixing in with the Greek mythology of a female giant. So in terms of polytheism, they recognized in their mythologies and their records and their religions that there were these female demigods, okay. just as there were female goddesses uh, of the uh, uh, you know of the of the pantheon of the of the gods of the fallen angels. Right. Now, after the flood, we actually get some references to female giants. We don't get them before the flood because we only get a very short Yeah four verses on the right. giants and then you get the flood story right mm -hmm. but when we get the original dukes of edom who lived there before the descendants of esau and uh, eliphaz who's going to intermarry son of esau is going to intermarry with a person named timna t-i-m and a this and this all comes about in Genesis 36, and you get a, the same story in First Chronicles. Okay. Um, she's going to produce the son Amalek, which is going to produce the Amalekites, right? Right. right. And these are uh, a different people 
because it happens in Genesis 36, and I don't believe the mm. Bible is in contradiction, which is different than the Amalekites, which are actually the Malachim in Genesis 14, because they predate them, right? right it just right. It can't be. These are part of the giant wars going on in Genesis 14, and then you get the Amalekites as the nation that's going to be raised that is going to oppress Israel in the Exodus later, and as a descendant of Esau. That's a whole interesting subject in itself, but... <laughs> It's Timna that I'm focused on here, and it's the original Dukes of Edom. Okay. And the original Duke of Edom is Seir, S-E-I-R, which goes back to a Hebrew word called Sair, which is rooted in another Sair word, which is the root word for satir, and ear is the word for watcher in the book of uh, Daniel is used four times with the watchers coming from the throne of heaven and saw meaning hairy. These are degraded, hairy, shaggy goat gods that Seer is taking his name from. Um, And, and patronymically, and he is a Raphaim. He's part of the Horim or the Horites as it sometimes is called, but in Deuteronomy 2, you get the actual word Horim as well as Horite. So you've got hybrids and you've got the original Raphaim Horim. It's a division of the Raphaim tribes as described in Deuteronomy 2 and part of the giant wars in Genesis 14 again. And so he is a Horim and his offspring daughter is Timna. And she's the one who intermarries with Eliphaz to produce the hybrid race of Amalekites. Ah, okay. So we actually do get that as an example of a female giant after the flood. Wow. So yeah, we had never, we never heard that. So that that's brand well, that new. That was the long way around the tree, but it, it was that's brand new cool information. Yeah, I love it. I love it because I, I mean, I've I've listened to a lot of this stuff for a long time. Yeah. And I have never heard that. So that that's amazing. Um, we, we want to, yeah, so, and, 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 and I was just going to just cap off. Typically yeah. it's thought that the, the giants after the flood had difficulty reproducing. And, and so then they would have to go and intermarry with humans to start reproducing. Okay. Um, and so when you get the, uh, this is another sort of to me, an indication for how the giants show up after the flood you get with the Canaanites they are going to intermarry with who are all in the, in the promised land. You get nine of the tribes. who don't have a patriarch's name. Right. You only right. get Canaan, Heth, and Sidon. The rest are nameless. There's no name, right. And this, these are the 70 patriarchs of the nations afterwards, but they're nameless. Uh-huh. So we don't get a patriarch for Raphaim. We don't get a patriarch for, we do get a patriarch for the Anakim. Mm. Uh, the Anakites as they're known in the Bible. I like to call them Anakim to denote them as giants. Right, right. Uh, and in Joshua 14 and 15, it talks about a fellow named Arba, who is the greatest of the Anakites and the patriarch, the founder of the Anakite tribe. Okay. And his name is not in the table of nations. So huh. Raphaim nations are not listed in the table of nations. But you get these nine families. And the families, as they're described, goes back to Hebrew. That's basically going to mean it can mean family, but it can mean a different species and a different kind. These are hybrids that are going to live amongst and create uh, what the Egyptians called the Shazu, which were seven to nine feet tall, mm. so smaller than yeah. the Raphaim. 
Okay. Um, but taller than the Israelites that are described in the accurate part of the report in Numbers 13, and then recap and told specifically that the Anak Anak came are distinct from the ones taller than the Israelites, which were the Amalekites, which were the Amorites, which were the Canaanites, the ones that were listed in the accurate part of the report by the scouts. Okay. So that's in, and so in that timeline, for that period of time there, actually the giants were living amongst uh, or among the humans on this planet. Okay. So my question as we progress in time here is, um, according to a lot of the, uh, some of the records, uh, you know, American Indians and different um, tribal, um, uh, what is it, hieroglyphs and things that they've found where they're f battling these beings coming out of caves, things like that, especially present day stories that we've heard about. When did they go underground? And is that, is that a theory that they possibly all went underground as a, as a society? Well, it, it's possible. I mean, we don't know what's in the earth. Um, and we do know there's a lot of subterranean buildings, whether or not it's Petra that's got most of its, you know, scale to its city yeah. below the earth. Yeah. Uh, you've got other places like in Turkey and Mexico. And, and typically those are thought to be built before the flood, but they would have knowledge of that if they wanted to sort of go below the earth. Um, some people believe that um, the giants went through portals and in the Ugaritic text that talks about their, uh, their Raphaim, they have the ability both um, after they're dead, depending on how they died and the rituals that they do in their religion, uh, but also as physical beings to go through portals into the underworld. And so, um, you know, Gilga Raphaim, for example, the Wheel of the Giants, which is right at the foothill of, of Mount Hermon and part of the whole Ugaritic uh, culture uh, um, that stems out of Mount Hermon and into uh, Canaan, uh, there's like a hundred different domains there. And a domain is a word called defined as portal. And uh. so they have rituals about going back through that. I mean, I don't know whether they did or not, but I know we need to believe or understand what they believe because it's what they do with that belief that's important to us right. um, and how they rule the world accordingly. Um, so it's possible that they could do that. And caves would be associated somewhat with the Raphaim. I mean, they were certainly associated with stone structures and things like that, but the Horim in particular, and they're the ones that, and I won't go through the details, but they basically Horim goes back um, in its Hebrew etymology and linked words to mean white and pale white and white bread and right. words like yeah. that. And they were thought to have red hair uh, as well. And so yeah. these are the fair skinned ones that sort of connects to what I was talking about, the fairy folk in the Tuatha Du Danan, that yeah. these were the fair ones. And that's why you have beauty, which was described as these ones that having red hair and or blonde hair. And then there's a separate sect that had the dark hair out of Mesopotamia, which are more mm -hmm. the Aryan aspect. But again, I'm getting down rabbit holes here. <laughs> but the, the giants that are described in North America are, are related to caves, living in caves, um, probably for protection and being and not being hunted 
by humans in greater numbers than they can handle, but they had red hair and are white skinned. And so they seem to be places in the world where these giants sort of escaped out of the Middle East, particularly after uh, the Israelites ran most of them out of the Middle East. Um, and okay. so they just went there to, to survive. So their uh, facial other features parts of the world. Right. Facial features or their characteristics could look almost location specific. Depending upon the, well, they the, could, but they the, would still who be, the women were, if where they, they were if from. They, yeah, if they were intermarrying with with uh, local women, um, you know, as as much as they did, then you would have a dilution of those traits. Right. And just as the ones who stayed in the Middle East became the ruling class, became the kings, the queens. Hmm and the nobility class and the priest class throughout history who take their genealogies back to these <laughs> giants and back to specific fallen angels and and within the back to a specific giant back to like a specific giant you know they have these genealogies that they keep and they would intermarry as much as possible to keep those bloodlines as pure as possible but mm -hmm. understanding they would have to bring in some humans um, to keep things like Diseases happening like hemophiliac disease, yes. or in particular, as you connect it to the Royal, uh, the kings of God, Rex Deus, Roy as in king, Al as in uh, Al, which is a transliteration of the Hebrew El, just as Il is, and Ala and Ilu, and several Middle East uh, transliterator terms. El is the word for God. So these are the mm, kings of God. Right. These are the demigods that they believe have the divine right to rule and, and, and their nobility class. They have to bring in diluted bloodlines so they don't get these diseases over time. And they start to lose the features. But to get a good idea of at least what one kind of Nephilim might look like, you would look at um, an image of a very famous pharaoh named Akhenaten. Uh, right, who yeah. is going to reign over, you know, about a thousand years or so, maybe a little bit more um, after the flood. So he's the Pharaoh of Egypt. But if you ever look and Google that picture or go see a King Tut museum, yeah. he has a long chin, yeah, serpentine long chin and thin lips, high cheekbones, large wraparound eyes that would glow and this elongated skull that, that the, the kings and queens used to wear these headdresses to cover, to hide that elongated skull, just yeah. as the giants in North America discoveries and the Peruvian <laughs> red-haired <laughs> skulls yeah. are elongated skulls yep. that are larger cranial capacity than a human could have. And if you bound them at, 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 at childbirth, you can create an elongation, but you can't create a larger capacity and they don't have sutures. These are <laughs> hybrid beings at, at the least, right? And depending on how big they are, and how old they are would be whether or not they were pure Raphaim or Nephilim before the flood. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So that that yeah that all makes sense regionally. Um, I actually looked up that that picture. I heard you talk about that that uh, exact tut, and I looked it up, and I'm like, wow. I mean, that's that's just like the the quintessential picture of of what they would call ancient aliens. You know, it looked like that, but it was that was pretty amazing. Um, yeah. We have a few minutes left. So let's, and... let's connect that back just quick. 
Yeah. I'll, I'll only take a second on this. Let's connect this back to the watchers, sure. uh, to the sons of God. Okay. These are, you know, as the watchers in Daniel 4, that are is the Hebrew word ear. The watchers are four classifications that are at the upper level of the angelic order. You have archangels, you have um, seraphim, you have cherubim, and then the fourth one group is the Ophanim, which are the ones that have a different face in Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10 than right. the cherubim have, and they're in the wheel, and one of the words for Hebrew, and we're referencing these angels in Hebrew, is Ophan, which is Ophanim with the male plural, and that's the word used for that other group of watcher in the book of Enoch that are around the throne, right. or the wheel right. angels. And so seraphim as I said, are serpent-faced angels. Yeah. These are the sons of God that looked after the religion and the governance of the earth, as opposed to the throne aspects of the uh, of the cherubim and the ophanim, and as opposed to the military aspect of a different order of the archangels, right. um, the ones who are always awake and, are, and in the presence of God. When they took their physical beings as seraphim, they took that in the same form as they would be recognized spiritually as serpent face. So these are all the right. dragon gods around the earth, all of the serpent gods. These are the ones who are in Genesis 6, procreate with the Nephilim and create beings that look just like them, yeah. both before and after the flood. And that's where Akhenaten gets his serpentine look from. Right. Okay. Yeah. See, and that, yeah, it all ties, it all ties together. Um we have a few minutes left, and I, we have so many more questions to ask you. But the one that I wanted to end with, and I and I and I know I, we got to have you back because we got to talk about the Nephilim world order, which you you speak of, and what we all know what's coming, uh, the the return of the Nephilim. We've heard of that as well. This question, I want to I want to end this uh, this specific session with this. Why is it, in your estimation, your opinion, why is it that churches don't learn this stuff why are pastors and bible teachers not teaching this stuff to the congregation it's a it's a really good question and uh again for people who are just starting to learn about this stuff it's uh, it's a mystery that you know will probably make you angry after a while as you dig into it a little bit more. So I think the churches, they don't teach prehistory and they don't teach prophecy and they're not preparing the flock with the proper context. And also prepper, proper preparedness and the armor of God to protect yourself in this world so you can recognize the the sort of the face of evil that's out there that's, that's in control. And for if we're, we are, if we are indeed in the fig tree generation, what's coming. Right. And so um, they're not preparing that. The reason is, is that both in the Roman church um, with the Jesuits mm-hmm. um, who got control of all of the, uh, not only the banking, but also the schools and the doctrines and the seminary schools. Right. Um, and you also have outside the church, the Roman church, the Gnostics, who also infiltrated all of the seminary schools and churches uh, to introduce the allegorical concept, which is the right. polytheist approach to understanding scripture right. as opposed to the literal approach, and to try and deceive as many humans as possible and not prepare them. So in seminary school, 
the ministers and the priests aren't taught deeply about prophecy and prehistory and told not to teach it because it's too risky is the reason it's too you might be wrong uh there's too many interpretations but they're being influenced by the allegorical approach in the seminary schools and so they're not teaching it a because they're not told to and b they're not really sure how to teach it based on the indoctrination that they've received oh, so wow. i get a lot of ministers who get a hold of me and say can you send me some of your material because we're not taught this <laughs> in seminary schools and uh, i can't go within the church to learn about it right okay well that's that's amazing it's, it's fascinating how the enemy our adversary has manipulated the church, the church in, in cover up. yeah to to cover things to ignore things to be afraid you know he's not going to say it's you know i mean the the adversary he's man he he just knows how to manipulate our minds it doesn't really exist what what did he tell eve you know the whole thing did god really say you were going to die you're not going to die his whole his whole thing is to to show it's people that he doesn't really yeah. exist that all this stuff doesn't really exist that's his trickery and the churches have bought it, and and that's 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 the really sad part of it. But I know again, right now there's an awakening happening, and I hate I don't really like that word, Separating but spreading the truth from the truth. People, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what we could say it. But people are starting to understand. People are starting to be like, wait a minute. Even with the again the blurry creatures uh, podcast, they're opening up these people's minds to. It's gone way past just Bigfoot. It's it's really gotten into the Bible deep. Yeah. Uh, with Gary and other people on that show. So I, I'm just really excited about this because it, it is important for us to understand. Um, we're going to we're gonna wrap this up. And, and man, again, Gary, we need to have you back. We, we really... Oh, we are so appreciative. You know, we're sitting here with our mouths open or just like, wow, you know, just amazing. A lot of, like I said, a lot of information. I know a lot of people are going to have to listen back a few times to get a lot of the stuff that you're explaining. Um. But, you know, give me, give me uh, 30 seconds of your end statement. What would you say the last 30 seconds? Well, I would say that we're taught in the New Testament that we have to be concerned with the visible ones and the invisible ones. Mm. And that we need to understand there's a hierarchy in place here. And that the visible ones that are in the physical world that are ruling this world answer up the hierarchy of the rebellious Saba, which is the word host. Mm. Uh, that's uh, the host of heaven, right. which is used interchangeably with, with, with angels. And so they have their own counterfeit hierarchy, just as Satan wanted to raise his throne to heaven to be like God and to have a realm of his own. Right. You have count. You have the council of the gods in Psalm 82. Mm -hmm. That is this rebellious, counterfeit council, probably located whether it's physically at Mount Hermon or within another dimension mm -hmm. there right. of the ruling on. That's where the council was originally located with the Balim after the flood, and I think with the angels before. Yeah. And that Satan is the head of that council, mm -hmm. just as God is the head of the council in, in heaven. And they rule the nations in this hierarchy yeah. as dictated in Deuteronomy 32. Uh, the original 70 nations that are talked about in Genesis 10 and First Chronicles and the patriarchs that we talked about. And so that's the hierarchy that rules the world, just as Satan is called 
the God of the world and the prince of this world, we need to recognize who our adversaries are and yeah. not continue to let them use their, their Lego men allegorical language to mm. do things in plain sight. We need to, to learn about it, recognize it, and teach other people as much as we can because what's coming everybody's going to have to have the full armor of god on yeah amen amen perfect way to end it the book is called the genesis 6 conspiracy how secret societies and descendants of giants plan to enslave humankind by gary wayne gary thank you so much for being here and go to the website uh genesis 6 conspiracy dot com genesis the number six the number six dot com ask a question uh ask for some uh, a documentation from gary he'll get back to you uh we definitely need to have you back I, i'm again we're so grateful for you to to spend a, a, a couple hours with us and and do I only this. have 98 more questions gary <laughs> yeah <laughs> and maybe next time we'll do it where we can yeah, skype each time. other we can see each other and and do it you know maybe in the in the winter or something Sure, sure, absolutely. Anytime you want to have me back. Great, thank you very much. All thank right, you, brother. Uh, again, we want to make sure that we always give God the glory, give Yahweh the glory. Yahweh yes. is the creator of all things and is in, in is sovereign over all things, yes. and will make right again what Satan has and his fallen angels have ruined and become so corrupt. And um, we're so grateful that we we know that he has called us to be a light in this dark world and so Amen. glory be to Yahweh glory be to God and we just thank you for uh, for everything Father and yeah alright guys well again thanks for listening hopefully you you really enjoyed this please let us know what you thought and what you think if you have questions concerns um, please just get a hold of us and we'll we'll reach back out to you alright until then have a great week talk to you later